The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails, done. Outfit, stunner. And my skin? I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello and welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about the continual state of bad things happening and how sometimes you can make them less bad or not happen. And today we're going to, I'm I'm Christopher Wong, by the way, and today we're going to be talking about Bosnia, a place where things went about as bad as they possibly can and about how they're heading in very scary directions now and with us to talk about this is Arnesa Kustrit. Arnesa is a genocide survivor and a academic expert on genocide in general. Arnesa, uh, how how are you doing? You know, I'm doing uh, okay. I think all things considered. Yeah. <laughs> you know, being sort of bombarded on a daily basis with you know uh, possible threats. Um, and talks about you know a new conflict war brewing in the Balkans is the thing not an easy thing to contend to contend yeah, with not. but yeah but other than that I'm <laughs> doing great thanks for asking yeah I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad you could be here with me today because the the Balkans extremely complicated place which I guess is true of most places but yeah and so I guess that that's that's where I wanted to go with my 
first question because reading about what's happening now, my first instinct was go back to the date in the courts, but I'm actually not sure that that's that that's that's even the best place to start. And so I want I wanted to, I guess, ask you if so. Okay, so if 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 you're coming into looking at the Balkans for the first time and you're trying to understand what's going on now, where do you think is the best place to start on it? Because I think, you know, the best, God, it's so it's hard. hard. Yeah. We're, we're talking about so much history, yeah. honestly. Yeah. But the thing is, let's, you know, let's start with the death of Tito. That's always a good place, I think, because that's really when things started to kind of shift in the Balkans and the former, you know, socialist Yugoslavia was really once Tito died and his place became, you know, empty as this sort of unifying factor of all the various ethnicities and nationalities within Yugoslavia. You know, once he was gone, that sort of left this vacuum that needed to be filled. And unfortunately, instead of being filled by another socialist, you know, pro-equality, pro-unity leader, it was filled with a nationalist vacuum, um, which is kind of where we still are, unfortunately. Um, You know, it started obviously with, with little things, I think, with little sort of conversations and, and little subtle, I guess, you know, ethno-nationalist rhetorics. And it just kind of like grew and spiraled from there. And obviously, you know, that sort of thing led to Milosevic in Kosovo giving his infamous speech, uh, which kind of really gave that full-fledged stamp on, okay, yes, this is a ultra-nationalist, you know, ethno-nationalist president that we now have um, who's threatening war. Uh, across the other ethnicities, what do we do next? Um, and at that point, you know, that's when you sort of see the other countries start to secede. You know, Slovenia, Croatia, they're attacked by Serbia. And then obviously, eventually, it goes down to Bosnia. Um, and yeah, I mean, it starts with the ethno nationalism, as it always does in, in the yeah. Balkans, I think. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think we're we're anything special in terms of having conflict with our neighbors. Look at France and England or England and Ireland (laughs) or America and Mexico or anyone really. It's just, you know, I think people make it sound as if we're special or we have these ancient hatreds, but you know, that's not really true. It it all comes down to the freaking politics and the leaders. And unfortunately, you know, Milosevic was removed, but his, policy, his um, beliefs continue to kind of stick around. You know, I I think, uh, you know, people think of people like Milosevic and Radovan Karadzic, who were, you know, genocidal war criminals as a thing of the past. But really, you look at, you know, the Serbian president, uh, Vucic, um, or the Republika Srpska president, Milorad Dodik. And they're really just a continuation of Karadzic and Milosevic. Um, so nothing, you know, has fundamentally changed since 
Tito died, except, you know, we got some new agreements. Uh, we got some new territories, some new ethnic lines drawn up and um, new pretty buildings, too. We have those now <laughs> as well, but we don't really have that coexistence, um, at least not on paper, not in politics, certainly. I want to go back for a second to, I guess, the moment of Tito dying, because that's always been a sort of interesting thing looking at it for me. Because I remember, I mean, you know, so from, from studying Chinese history, right, there's a period where in the 70s where it's okay, like everyone's looking for reform in China. And, you know, what what you would consider like the sort of the, the, the I guess you could call them the, I don't know, left and right is complicated in China, but, yeah. you know, like there there are a lot of sort of what you would call like the sort of left socialist, like, democratic reformers who were who you know i mean people people like they're looking at yugoslavia as a model and they're going oh we can have like workers participation and we can have this, we can have these like democratic enterprises and then that just implodes and, and and yeah i wonder if we could talk a little bit about more about that because my my very limited understanding of it it was is like there's an economic crisis from the oil shocks and then once tito dies it's just like the wheels come off the whole system i mean that's a really good way of like putting it um you know like life in yugoslavia i don't think was like ever perfect and i definitely yeah. don't think it was a perfect system i think you know me being a bosnian who was born to very i think pro yugoslav parents mm -hmm. um i just like many of my you know fellow yugoslavs or ex-yugoslavs have a tendency to look at Yugoslavia with like rose-colored lenses. You know, we think about the the coexistence, the unity, the multi-ethnic part, the uh, worker-owned, you know, socialist models. The fact that our parents, um, you know, were able to provide for their families and take vacations and travel and um, you know get together and all these sort of wonderful things. But in the background, really, in the sort of depths of the you know politics and the, the economic issues were kind of always there um you know the one thing that tito did was obviously he relied unlike i think other socialist uh, leaders of his time is you know he basically worked with anyone you know the non-aligned movement but also with the west uh with europe you know, so uh, he wasn't very picky choosy. I think yeah. his ultimate goal was, you know, the betterment of the country by kind of any means necessary. Um, but I think, you know, he made mistakes just like um, other leaders do. And I think obviously we had, you know, two issues. One, he was sick, he was dying. Um, and, and two... There was an economic crisis happening, um, and three. Then we had like the economic reforms, which really sh shifted the entire. I mean, they just they very much shifted the 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 system that the Yugoslav people were very much used to. Um, it became more and more prior, you know, privatized after his death, mm -hmm. um, and and you know, Milosevic, he was. He was a banker. He was a businessman. He was, he was who he was. Um, and I don't think that he ever really pretended to be a socialist. 
Yeah. <laughs> which is why I get so upset when yeah. American, American leftists call him a socialist or call him an anti-imperialist because those aren't even words that, you know, he himself would have really used to describe himself, I think. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, there was just, it was that sort of thing where there's an economic crisis brewing. They have no ways to really fix it. People are broke. People are starving. Suddenly the ownership, the worker, you know, owned sort of model is being shifted to a more privatized model and people are just not happy. What's a good way to distract from that? Yep. <laughs> Ethno-nationalism. <laughs> you know, it's just, we see it happen everywhere. It's yep. not a new, it, it, it's not like a new, you know, tactic. It's a tactic that everyone has utilized, blame yep. it on the other. Um, so Yugoslavia didn't really have, you know, immigrants that they could blame it on, but they had Muslims. Yep. And so, and they had the Kosovo, you know, Albanians and the Bosnians, and that was, you know, enough. And suddenly the, conversation really shifted and obviously i'm simplifying all of this yeah a yeah. lot <laughs> it's so much more complicated um and, but you know there there are books out there and 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 um, yeah. that obviously go into a great you know level of detail um into the actual sort of breakup so uh, i can give some recommendations later but um yeah, but I think in 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 that sort of very simplistic kind of sense is there was an economic crisis happening. A good way to sort of distract that was the use of ethno nationalism, and it just kind of spiraled from there. I think you know what Milosevic and what people like Milosevic always want is more power yeah. for themselves, and so his whole thing wasn't really ever about keeping Yugoslavia intact as Yugoslavia. It was keeping this vision of a greater Serbia alive. Because the thing is, you know, if we had not had a person like Milosevic, if we just had somebody who was, you know, the second Tito, maybe more or less worse or better, who cares? I think people would have been fine. I think, you know, I don't see this like war breaking out. But instead we had Milosevic, who was like way more concerned about consolidating power exerting that control. And when he realized that he could use ethno-nationalism to get to his goals, of course he was going to use that. Of yep. course. Like, who wouldn't? You know, we see it today with, like, what Trump did. He utilized, you know, Muslims and immigrants and refugees and Black people, all his scapegoats to distract from all of the other things that are wrong with him, his leadership, and the overall country. And Milosevic did the same. He just did what any other politician did. And, you know, that's the thing. I, I think, you know, in thinking about Bosnia, Croatia, Slovenia, and all these countries that started to secede, I think if they had felt comfortable with, you know, staying in a country that is multi-ethnic, at least in the case of Bosnians, I'm not going to speak for the Slovenians or Croatians because they have mm -hmm. their own, I think, complicated identity. But w yeah. with Bosnians, our, our thing collectively i think while we're not a monolith not monolith but collectively was always we are united we are multi-ethnic multi-religious multicultural 
And it's such a big part of like our entire history and identity. And so if the choice is being, you know, under Serb control, being secondary citizens, not having that equality, not having that multi-ethnicity, of course, we're not going to take that choice. Yeah. Of course, people are going to want to, you know, when when you have like that, uh, you know, that boot on your neck of saying like, we're going to control you, we're going to take your land, and we're going to basically rule over you. Nobody wants to deal with that. And, you know, unlike a lot of the other countries in, in former Yugoslavia, Bosnia really was the most multi-ethnic. It had one of the highest rates of, you know, mixed uh, ethnic marriages and multi-religious marriages. And that kind of remains true even today. So especially in places like Sarajevo, Mostad, Luka, you know, the bigger cities, it, it has this very proud history of, you know, coexistence and multi-ethnic coexistence. So I think what happened for so many people was just a huge amount of shock. Um, my own family, so many people in my own family just did not think it could happen there. They grew up with this idea of a united, you know, multi-ethnic Yugoslavia, brotherhood and unity. These are our neighbors, our friends, our teachers, our lovers, you know, whatever they're, they work with us. They live next to us. Of course, they're not going to, you know, turn against us. And I think even while all the politicians were fear-mongering, while, you know, Milosevic and Karadzic were sort of leading their campaigns of, you know, uh, especially Islamophobic propaganda, um, you know, in, in newspapers, on the radio, on TV, any chance that any speech that they gave, they talked about how the Muslims were coming, we were going to make their daughters wear hijabs, we were going to take over, we were going to kill them, you know, before... That's why they have to kill us because yeah. they don't kill us. We're going to kill them. It was this whole, you know, really brilliant propaganda campaign in so many ways that has now been replicated in so many other yeah. countries. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. 
But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all natural bitters, so dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Can can we talk about that specifically for a second? Because I think there's something interesting in... The, the way that like the, the the way that you get people to do a genocide always seems to be is like you you, you can't it, it's extremely hard to get someone to like just murder their neighbor because they don't like them you have to do this like they're about to exterminate us and that's why we have to like strike first and that I, yeah that, that that aspect of it i think is is something that i see a lot when when i do this and yeah you you have you have done <laughs> infinitely more genocide studies so i want to hear yeah what you yeah i mean this. here's the thing um I, I it's so funny i gave like an interview um on this specific topic i don't know like two years ago and i remember turning to to the guy who was interviewing me because he was just like his look on his face was i just don't understand like i don't i can't wrap my mind about how people could do that to their friends, neighbors, students, you know, uh, people they were sworn to like protect and and people they lived with their entire lives. How could they do that? Well, you know, I turned to him and I said, yeah, I mean, if I told you right now, go kill him, you know, you probably wouldn't. But if I came to you day in and day out and I slowly started to kind of whisper in your ear and I started to tell you, you know, he's been really, really I don't know. He's been saying a lot of stuff about you. He's been quite negative or I don't know. You know, do you think he's kind of acting weird? I feel like he might be planning something. He might be planning to take over your house. He might be planning to, I don't know, probably attack your sister. I think he's going to kill your sister. I think he might make your sister wear her job. So it's these very like slow, subtle things. And that's the thing that people don't understand. You know, violence never interrupts like uh, never erupts out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it's always planned. It brews and it brews and it brews and then it explodes. You know, then there's the, the thing, but it it comes slowly. And that's how it was in Yugoslavia. It wasn't this 
sudden, you know, oh, yes, we're brothers and sisters forever. Go Tito, go Yugoslavia to, you know, oh, I hate you because you're Muslim and I hate you because you're Serb and I hate you because you're a Croat. No, that was not the case. The case was that this was a very slow campaign of propaganda that started in the 80s, almost immediately after Tito's death, let's say. And it started very slow. Started with the, you know, with the sort of, I think, uh, disenfranchisement of the Kosovo Albanians um, and kind of the targeting of them. Um, and again, yes, there was this economic component on it, of it, but the way they wanted to kind of sidetrack that was, you know, well, you're you're hungry because the Kosovo Albanians are not, you know, and they're taking your jobs. Again, similar, uh, you know, tactics that we, we see even yep, today. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not it's not that much different. But yeah, you know, it starts slow. And and the Milosevic and the Karadzic and the Mladic kind of campaigning was, God, it was brutal. I mean, and like I always say, it was kind of brilliantly executed in that it really got to people so much that then again, you know, they turned neighbor against neighbor. It was it was subtle in the beginning. It was that sort of what are the Muslims up to? Can we trust them? Can you trust your neighbor? Can you trust the Muslims? You know, talking about Islamization, talking about Ali Begovic's book that he wrote when he was like, I don't know, 18 or or whatever, like, and, you know, talking about World War II, this was another thing. Like, like everybody knows that there was a period in World War II where, uh, you know, a lot of Serbs were killed by the Ustasha uh, and by the, you know, Nazi collaborationists. And I think, Obviously, that's a real fear for, you know, for a certain group of people who yeah. went through that. So there was a lot of that as well. You know, that's going to happen again. That's going to happen again. Meanwhile, there was no grand plan. There was never even talks of, you know, committing violence or even, you know, talks of, you know, seceding from Yugoslavia or anything. It was all, it was all set in motion by the Serbian leadership, you know, and I think that's what people don't understand. The Bosnian leadership, while not perfect, were simply reacting to what the Serbian leadership was in many ways making them do. And and that's kind of what, you know, what happens in these situations, you know, they kind of push you and push you and push you until they're able to get, you know, some sort of rise out of you or a response out of you or or get you on that sort of offensive where you have to defend yourself, you have to defend your identity, you have to defend who you are, you have to justify it and also in many ways. So yeah, the you know, this sort of propaganda campaign, God, there was, you know, obviously the funny things were like things like they're gonna make you wear the hijab, but it was also very insidious because they would target like these, you know, villages where they were like Bosnians and Serbs, you know, living together. Mm -hmm. They're quite small, but they knew that like in the village, obviously you usually have a gun or, you know, a shotgun because of the animals or, you know, working or whatever. So they would like target them specifically with like the, you know, the radio. And Jesus. instead of like the big cities, like they worked mm -hmm. up to the big cities but they really started in like specific sort of areas like in eastern bosnia especially because there was like a lot of um i think 
majority Muslim like villages in that area that would also have like nearby Serb villages. So yeah, I mean, there was that. There was, you know, then sort of taking over all the radio stations and um, kind of going full force. I think like in the sort of early days of the war, like we're talking April, May of 1992, they, you know, they would get people like pretending that they were Bosnians, that they were actually Serbs, and they would like talk about how they went to, you know, kill all Serbs or something like that. Um, there was also when they were like having people in concentration camps where they like started kind of putting them in those concentration camps initially, they, they would make the victims in the concentration camps, the Muslims, um, basically, you know, say that, oh, they're just there as a refugee and the Serbian army is like protecting them and they're yeah. making them feel really welcome and stuff like that. So it was right at the beginning between especially 89 to like 92, the propaganda was so visible and it really escalated and it was like suddenly everywhere. And you would hear Karadzic and Milosevic talk about, you know, the Muslims and the things that we wanted and, and, you know, the things that, the goals that we had, which after all, were not, you know, nobody was saying it. There wasn't like a single person that was saying these things that they yeah. were attributing to us. But that didn't matter. What they were just doing was instilling enough fear and enough doubt in the population to eventually get them to take up arms when the time comes. And unfortunately, that's precisely what happened. When yeah. the time came, you know, a lot of people did take up arms, whether or not they wanted to, they had enough of that doubt and fear sowed in their minds over the course of, you know, several years that they ended up feeling like I have to protect myself. And I'm not saying that's the case for every Serb person. I think some, a lot of, you know, especially in, in um, higher leadership positions, a lot of them were just sociopaths who wanted to kill. And I don't think it mattered why or, or how because you're always going to get those kind of people yeah but i think when we're talking about how how that shift happened so fast we have to obviously discuss the the propaganda the huge amount of propaganda that went into the you know implementing it so i guess Sorry, I was like uh, such a tangent oh my god no it's okay no no that was that was that was really great yeah and i think you know well, yeah i mean i, I guess like I, I I think it's incredibly important for everyone to understand that propaganda works. Like if you just say something over and over and over again, like it, it does, you know, event eventually it pays off and you know, the, 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 the quote unquote payoff here is the genocide. And I guess, yeah, I'm not sure how far into detail you want to get into this here, but, but I think one thing I want to, kind of focus on because I, I think from from reading what you've been ta ta saying about this that th th this wound up being a big deal with like why things are sort of still fucked now which is that like the international response to this like i mean one of the things i was always just like haunted by is there's this quote by Mitterrand, who's the uh the prime minister of france he's like this he's supposed to be the socialist he's like the guy that like they finally put in power after like all of the stuff in the 60s and he has this line about like 
it, I, I'm sorry, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I'd pulled up the exact quote, but it, it, it's, it's basically like, I, I know the quote. Yeah. Do, do you want to say it? I don't remember the exact quote. I, yeah. I know the quote. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, what was it? A peaceful but necessary reconstruction of a Christian Europe. Yeah. Um, and Bosnia does not belong. So yeah, I remember it that horrifying. very specifically. It's really yeah. stayed with me for such a long time because he said that at a time where the Bosnian Muslims were just completely defenseless. Um, they were being dragged away to concentration camps. The massacres were already well underway. We're not talking about Srebrenica in 95. We're talking about Visegrad, Sarajevo, Facha, Gorazda, um, even Srebrenica in 92, you know, this is all in 1992. Um, the things that happen in places like Butchko and Zvornik and all these like places that you, that I think the vast majority of people don't really know about and hear about. Like in uh, Visegrad, a lot of my family is from there. Within a span of three months, that entire town, that entire town, which was once almost entirely Bosniak Muslim, um, was ethnically cleansed and that was done through forced deportations concentration camps mass rapes and rape camps of women and obviously a lot of murders you know so we're talking about one small town that took you know three three months and my family when it comes to that town um, on both my mother's and my father's side interestingly enough has like such a long history my parents fell in love there when they were like kids so you know they you know, my grandmother's house was there. My grandfather's house was there um, on like both sides. And they, you know, so it's it this beautiful little town uh, where, you know, Bosnians and Bosniaks and Serbs and Croats lived and Jews and Roma. And, you know, my parents talk about the beauty of it and this wonderful sort of experience that they had when they lived there. My, my mom is from Sarajevo um, and so am I as well, obviously, but Vishagrad was like the place that she would go kind of like for the weekend just because of the family that we had there. Um, so very special, I think, in her heart, my grandpa's um, heart as well. And, you know, within, it, it's just like so hard to like fathom that within just a few months, that town was completely ethnically cleansed. And that the international community knew this and did nothing. You know, there is... In, I believe it's in the Clinton tapes as well, but there's this thing about how they had provided aerial footage of the massacres that were being that were being enacted in places like Butchko and Zvornik, where, oh my God, the paramilitary Serb forces did some hor horrifying acts of like violence and torture against the civilians. Um, and they had, you know, showed it to the Clintons and they showed it to the French and the English and they did nothing. You know, they, they knew in 1992 that a genocide was unfolding um, and the Dayton Peace Agreement wasn't signed until 1995. So the international um, community, I think, has just as much of a responsibility in the you know, the genocide of the Bosniaks as Serbia does because they sat there and they watched when they had all the power to stop it. 
they always had the power to stop it. They had the power to stop it before it even before even one person got killed. Um, and and two, they it's not even that they just watched. It's that they purposely left the Muslims defenseless because Serbia had all the Yugoslav army, yep, all the weapons, all the you know everything, all the tools that they needed to commit genocide. They already had it. It all the arsenal, everything. Um, and you, you, the Yugoslav army was like the most powerful in the region at the time, and I think the fourth, third, third or fourth most powerful in like the Europe, Turkey area. So you know, quite a powerful army. And there was Bosnia, which had no weapons, no military. Um, you know, you see these pictures of like civilians fighting against you know tanks and and uh, mortar shells and snipers and it's like these you know youths basically in like converse and jeans and like an army jacket playing soldier <laughs> because yeah. that's all we had you know we had the homemade weapons we had um you know how to make your own bomb books kind of thing and and trying to basically defend ourselves with anything that we could um they specifically did not lift the arms embargo knowing that they were leaving us defenseless like they they just knew there was no way there was no doubt on everything that we have read about the international community response everything that clinton Mitterrand, john mayer major major um, not mayor, uh, major have said, uh, you know, about it during that period shows us that they absolutely knew that we were defenseless, you know, and this wasn't, you know, a lot of people say, I didn't know about the Bosnian genocide, but it was discussed. You know, I looked at the archived footage. Um, it was talked about on television. It was brought up in parliament and in Senate. There was people at the time who were like, why are we leaving the bosnians defenseless why are we you know not helping them uh why are we allowing them to be led into slaughter this is genocide blah blah, blah. so even as early as 92 93 there was still people who knew about this stuff were telling the leaders but nothing yeah you know, I, I think I, I think like that part also like it's it's not just that like they did nothing like they 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 like they did worse than do nothing like i mean Mitter mitterrand's actively cheering it on like mm -hmm. you know the 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 arms embargo is just like the arms embargo if, if you're applying an arms embargo on a conflict where one people one side has tanks and the other side has like molotovs like you you are actively supporting one of the sides and and i think that like that just like is completely lost in how like almost everyone seems to talk about this now mm -hmm. because there's like you know because because when you sort of get like interventions later like people are like oh look the west was like planning to intervene here the whole time and it's like no like they were they were literally cheering like, like Mid Midrand was yeah. cheering like it's like it's so frustrating because you know we you take what we know about i and here's the thing i know that islamophobia escalated after 9-11 but islamophobia has existed for a very long time yep. and i think talk to the black muslims of america they will tell you more, you know, better than than I could ever tell you about the history of Islamophobia in, in the United States. So Islamophobia was always an aspect of, of life 
And in Europe, Islamophobia, just like anti-Semitism, I mean, yep. it is like the staple of European cultural cuisine, so to say. Yeah, it's, it's like, just, like it's like yeah, it's like like there's there's a, there's a, there's they have they have like they have like the like the, the triforce of European of European civilization yeah. is anti-Semitism, uh, Islamophobia, and hating the Roma. Yep, it's like those, those are just like, like yeah, par for the force. And so I think this sort of thing about the explicitness of European leadership, especially at the time in in you know effectively ensuring that we were killed off because a Muslim country in Europe could not exist. Yep. And that's the thing that they said, literally said, a Muslim country in Europe cannot exist. Like, the fact that that was so open and brazen, yep. like, kind of takes me back, but it really, like, tells you how much Islamophobia formed, I think, the international community response on this. And it's so interesting to me now, I think, I've seen it over the past, I would say, especially five years, the sort of leftist genocide denialism, yeah. the sort of leftist anti-imperialist kind of defense of Milosevic and, oh, they were the, you know, the Serbs were the actual victims, blah, 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 NATO, blah, 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 Western in- intervention. And I'm just like, oh, my God, read a book, read an article from yeah. that time, read their actual quotes. There's no way that you can actually convince me that Europe, Fortress Europe, and the United States of America would do anything that would benefit, you know, the Muslims. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Baseball fans, 
BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Well, this, is what, this is one of the things I think was is, is really interesting to me about the way that the sort of like left handed side nihilism works. Is that it, like it always seems to be rooted in Islamophobia. Like and I, I remember started seeing this with Bosnia too, where they're like, oh yeah, well it's 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 because well it's okay. They have two things. One, it's like well the, the Bosnians were Nazis, but the second one was that oh well the the, the, Bos- the Bosnians were like all jihadists. Yeah. And it's like like it's, it's the exact same thing you see with China, and it's like oh it's because all the Uyghurs are uh, like Salafi jihadists, ISIS, CIA, and it's like. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's honestly laughable at this point. It really is. And it also just, you know, obviously I'm a leftist, you know, I'm, I'm going to cheer the left on to an extent, but that is my red line. The genocide denialism really is my red line. And the reason it's, it's, you know, my red line isn't just because I'm a genocide survivor, but because it's like, oh, for God's sake, the 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 data, the statistics, the research, the forensic, the uh, analysis, the specific quotes, videos, articles, uh, you know, all of those things exist and are out there. And all you have to do is actually do your research and you will find out that actually, no, you're in the wrong. And the other thing is what you just said about this sort of thing of painting, you know, the Muslims as like the Nazis and the, you know, the extremists. Um, You know, the thing about like the Bosnian Muslims is like, we don't hide the fact that there were people of our community that participated in Nazi Ustasha crimes. There isn't this goal of concealing those crimes, Mm -hmm. of minimizing the crimes or pretending that they were right. Um, There is, I'm sure, a fringe group of people who, who defend these kinds of people like there is a French but I'm talking about the collective sort of Bosnian um you know state level response as well as like a an individual response is that the you know the the Nazi division had like 17,000 Bosnian soldiers and there's millions of Bosnians in the country the vast majority ended up joining the partisans and stood against the Nazis and the thing is, you can't, you, when it comes to Yugoslavia and World War II and the Holocaust, you can't just say that the Bosnians were Nazi collaborationists because the thing is, so were the Serbians, so were the Serbs, so were the Croats. At that time, let's be honest, who the hell wasn't a Nazi collaborationist? Now, this doesn't excuse it, absolutely not. But what it does sort of show is that that history, that period, um, in Yugoslav history is really complicated because, you know, you had the Ustasha um, and then you had the Chetniks and then there's a period where the Chetniks were against the Ustasha, right? Because like 
used to show were killing Serbs and Roma's and Jews. But then the Chetniks turn around and they're, you know, these Serb nationalists, they start killing the Jews and the Roma. Yeah. And then they start working with the Ustasha to hunt down the Jews and the Roma. And then they start working with them to stand against the, you know, the, the Tito's partisans. Um, meanwhile, you know, Tito's partisans had a multi-ethnic coalition. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're talking about Serbs, Bosnians, uh, Roma, Jews, uh, Croats, uh, Albanians, you know, all sorts of people who were very, like, you know, anti-Nazism, yeah. pro, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna win, we're gonna rebuild our, our country, we're gonna, you know, make this beautiful sort of, you know, multi-ethnic kind of state, which they did, which is amazing. But yeah, but it, it is a complicated sort of piece of history. So you can't really say, oh, yes, they're the Nazi collaborationists, because um, at some point or not, everybody was, and at some point or not, Everybody was also partisan. yeah yeah. It's like like it's when 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 you start getting into like it it, it becomes this like you know it becomes a way of just of getting people to I don't know how to describe it. like it, it you know when 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 it starts being like this specific ethnic group as a whole is responsible for all of these crimes it's like no they're not like that's that's not that's not how this works like it's not like 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 there like there, there are like there yeah there, there's going to be people in the ethnic group who did things that were awful there's also going to be people especially especially in, in in a situation like this there's there's a lot like a lot of like probably more people who fought them yeah and, and that I mean, like yeah that's such an interesting statement because i i'm going to compare to the bosnian response after the genocide which has consistently been no we don't believe that every single serb is bad yeah. And we are only talking about those that took place, took part in these crimes, and those that concealed them. And that has always been the collective and state-level response of all Bosnians. Now, you have to think about, I have a friend who's, who, who's 99, 99 members of her family were killed in Srebrenica in July of 1995. That's an absorbent number of people. Yeah. These were women, children, and men, and elderly. There was no discrimination when it came, comes to her. I've sat with her as she's read all the names of her, you know, killed family members. That woman, with all the pain that she survived, with being there as a young girl in the midst of genocide, in the midst of these hor her horrifying crimes, has never once publicly or privately to me said, yes, all Serbs are the same. Yes, all of them are war criminals. Yes, all of them hate us. Absolutely not. And the thing is, I think about myself as well. Like, you know, my earliest childhood memory is me being shot at by a sniper, knowing my father was in a concentration camp, knowing that my grandmother was just killed by a bomb, um, knowing that, you know, my biological dad was dying in a hospital from an attack and my mother could also be killed because she was pregnant with my brother at the time. And it, so these are my earliest childhood memories. Mm -hmm. um, they're not very happy memories. And I know why those things happened. You know, I know why I was being shot at by a sniper. And it was because I was Bosnian. It was because I was Muslim. And because I was seen as the enemy, even though I was, you know, a little kid at, you know, six, seven years old um, and absolutely not a threat to anyone. And nobody should have been sh shooting at me. They did anyway. 
even though that happened, I never had that feeling of all Serbs are awful. All Serbs are, you know, I'm going to paint them all with a brush. But a lot of them, unfortunately, especially on the, you know, the, the, the ultra-nationalists that continue to not just deny the genocide, but also glorify it and celebrate yeah. it, they do paint everyone with the same brush, you know? And, and and the worst thing, the funniest thing, is that they paint themselves with the same brush, you know? They they think that they get to speak for every single Serb person. Yep. Um, and that's the tragic path. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I, I get accused of, like, constantly talking shit about Serbs, and I'm like, I absolutely am not. I'm talking about the nationalists, and I will call out all the nationalists, yep, whether yep, they're yep. Bosnian, Serbian, Croatian, American, whatever. But we're talking about, you know, what you're doing to me and your response to my criticism of nationalism is actually the thing that's ruining your reputation. Yeah, it's it's the it's the, it's the ethnonational's gambit. It's it's you have you have to conflate all of the individual people, the ethnic group, and the state. They all they all have to be this like you know this supposed to be this like organic totality, and it's not true. It's just not. But that's you know that's 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 the sort of it, it's it's the modus operandi behind their entire ideology, and it's what they deploy. You know, it's, it's what they deploy when they do genocides. It's what they deploy when they have to sort of like, you know, sort of promote it. Yeah. openly or less openly afterwards yeah it's like that justification it's how they justify it I yeah think, you know and like we all know about the 10 stages of genocide uh but uh, my colleague um who's brilliant <laughs> actually has often talked about that denialism is not really the final stage of genocide it is, in fact, triumphalism. Um, and that's what we're actually seeing in Bosnia. You know, we're not... I get genocide denialism from American leftists and, like, <laughs> British leftists who are on a certain spectrum and of a certain... Yeah. I don't get genocide denialism from ethno-nationalist Serbs. What I get from them, actually, is very openly celebrating and threatening another genocide they're not in my mentions saying oh there was no genocide yeah uh, they're in my mentions saying no which is basically a slogan that says knife wire srebrenica and it's like basically a threat that another srebrenica will occur they're in my mentions in my emails and in my dms sending me threats about how they can't wait till I'm put in a rape camp again, how they can't wait till they kill my family, till Sarajevo gets bombed again, how, you know, we're, they're going to finish the job, how Ratko Mladic is a hero because he killed all those, you know, uh, people in Srebrenica and Sarajevo and Vyshegrad. Um, Karadzic is a hero because he did the same. Milosevic is a hero because he believes in a greater Serbia. These people don't hide it. Yep. Um, and that's the thing. So it's, it's it's very, like, just today, you know, I, first thing in the morning, I open my Twitter, and the first thing that I see is uh, a Bosnian activist um, arrested for protesting the Ratko Mladic mural, which the Serbian police were guarding. They were guarding a mural, a get, like, a mural of a war criminal who committed genocide, who, who everybody knows committed genocide, a mural glorifying him. They were, the police were guarding, you know, the mural. 
and inflicting damage on innocent civilians who were there to, you know, protest against the mural. And so I think that really tells you so much about the issue in the Balkans. This has been It Could Happen here. Join us tomorrow for part two of this interview in which we discuss the dangers of what's currently happening in Bosnia. In the meantime, find us on Twitter at HappenHerePod. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram for the rest of our shows at CoolZone Media. It Could Happen Here is a production of CoolZone Media. For more podcasts from CoolZone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play what's up guys this is sean lights out merriment and saturday june 15th lights out extreme fighting 17 returns to casino palma in san diego get your tickets now at lightsoutxf.com and we'll be live on lights out sports tv available on all major platforms doors open at 5 p.m pacific you don't want to miss this one it's going to be lights out lights out sports is free sports tv by athletes for fans for details about the event and tickets go to lightsoutxf.com xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.